Hi, I'm Caroline, a yoga teacher with a special interest in menopause based in Edinburgh. And hi, I'm Dr Claire, a GP with a special interest in menopause based in North London. Together we are the Menopause Sisters and we're here to guide and support you through your menopause journey. In this episode we decided we would concentrate on vaginas and vaginal health through perimenopause and menopause. I think maybe hand over to you to begin with just to talk about um, how declining estrogen affects perimenopause, menopause, vaginal issues. Yeah, so I think it's really important to remember that as we've said before and as we bang on a lot about is that we have estrogen receptors in every cell of our body. And so actually what we've got to remember is that with fluctuating levels of estrogen in the perimenopause, and postmenopausally, when your estrogen levels fall significantly, one of the first signs can be that sense of vaginal dryness or soreness down below. Um, and this obviously can affect you if you've had a surgical menopause or if you've had treatment that would induce a menopause, so chemically as well. Um, and it's often a symptom that isn't really talked about very often. It's still thought about as a bit of a taboo which is a shame because the treatments that are out there are very, very safe, very effective and can really change um, a woman's quality of life quite significantly. So essentially the estrogen that we have in our body before the perimenopause is what helps to plump up our vaginal walls and the cells, provide extra lubrication. It's a natural lubricant estrogen. And so it also stimulates the cells within the vagina to help encourage good bacteria, um, which protect, protects against some, some, some infections. As the levels decline, what you can find is that you get, um, we'll talk about more of this in a minute, won't we, Caroline? You can get more uh, infections, so you can get thrush, you can be a bit more thrown to thrush, you can be a bit more prone to a condition called bacterial vaginosis, which is not an, uh, a sexually transmitted infection, but can, can be really common. Um, but also your, your vaginal walls thin. And so they can actually become very painful to the point where you can't put on one underwear and you can't sit down. And you can imagine if you're living with this day to day, but actually a bit afraid to talk about it, it can be just completely soul destroying and your quality of life will, will drop. And this is why one of the one of the main reasons we often use the word vagina, and we've asked guests as well that that uh, that brilliant question at the end of many of our interviews um, from the vagina monologues. You know, what would your vagina be wearing if she or it got dressed? Um, and one of the main reasons for that was to to use the word vagina more, to make it less of a taboo, to introduce it to women again and again. Because actually, I'd been for a walk with a friend this afternoon, and you know, she said, "Oh, do you have to get back?" And I said, "Yes." You know, I've got a show to record or what's your topic and I said it's all about vaginas and she smiled and laughed and and I said well one of the main reasons we wanted to focus on vaginas and vagina dryness and, and the changes in perimenopause and menopause is also just to use the word because so many women still feel that they can't use that word feel still feel it's a bit of a taboo and it's one of the I guess awkward conversations a lot of women decide they're not going to have with their GP isn't it you know they may talk about hot flushes they may talk about you know the sleep and being affected but actually talking about the pain or the uncomfortable irritability of, of vaginal health is something that's still not talked about enough and unless I guess it's brought up by your GP it's maybe something that a lot of women don't offer up exactly and I think we should as women we should be much more confident in talking about vaginas. One of my biggest bugbears is 
the use of um, a, a word to cover up the word, to, to not use the word vagina. So, you know, there are thousands of different names for vagina out there. And I don't know how, why we're so scared of using the word and having to replace it with something that seems a little bit more socially appropriate, um, perhaps. But I don't think using the word vagina, I'm not going to get all political on you, Karen, here, but I don't think the word vagina is socially inappropriate. It's just anatomically correct. In the same way we use penis, in the same way we use testicles, it's just part of our anatomy in the same way as an arm is or a nose is, you know, and actually, until we get over ourselves and acknowledge that, it's really difficult for us as women to get the right help and the right treatment. And if I'm really honest, the treatment is so simple and so effective that it just is, is so frightening that there's so many women out there living with with what could be really really easily and safely resolved i think one thing it just goes back to that kind of embarrassment about sexual health generally doesn't it and talking about sex and that's actually probably quite british and that's a huge stereotype but we're still not very good at getting better at it and for many women there they do have a nickname for their vagina they, you know they don't use that word and it still is seen as a bit of taboo and obviously it depends on generations as well i feel like the younger generations are getting more confident about using it and kind of owning that word and, and owning that anatomical term but i think it is very 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 difficult especially for the older generation you know i can I think think of a uh, a 70-year-old or just over 70-year-old that I know who gets to a venue and rushes to the toilet. And actually, you know, I'm thinking I know exactly what you need. I need you need some vaginal estrogen just to help with that and ease that. And I'm not a doctor and that maybe not just be as obvious as that but that's my initial thought but I know that's not a conversation that particular person would have of that generation necessarily yeah and that's what's really interesting is because as we know you know estrogen receptors line our pelvic floor they line the base of our bladder they line our urethras which is our urine tube and as we get older and estrogen levels decline the ability for your bladder to hold on to urine weakens and yes you know rushing to the toilet can be for a number of reasons it can be psychological so you're you, you know you, the more you do it the more you allow your brain to say i need i need to dash to the loo the more it will say you need to dash to the loo so there's a cycle to break there but actually a really easy treatment like you said it would be to try some estrogen vaginally to see if that helped and in in many women who suffer from vaginal dryness they're also prone to to that bladder weakness so having to rush to the toilet but they're also prone to kind of having recurrent urine infections, um, thrush we've already mentioned, uh, because estrogen also helps to kind of ward off some of those harmful bac bacteria. We, we need to remember that it, it is absolutely imperative for our vaginal health that we have it really. Yeah, and it's also a symptom that's not just going to disappear. You know, hot flushes might subside, you know, the insomnia might ease, but actually a dry vagina is one of the few symptoms that is permanent. Um, and as you said, you know, it can cause itching, it can cause pain, it can cause the increased urinary frequency, incontinence, prolapse, um, UTIs. This, just the list is endless. And actually, it's some, unfortunately something that's going to affect many women for forever, for the rest of their lives. And so actually just knowing that vaginal estrogen is a possibility, and it's separate to 
what we would call kind of, I guess, classic HRT, you know, the patches we talk about, the transdermal estrogen you would take in bigger doses. It's a very, very, very tiny dose, isn't it? And it's applied locally, as it were. Yeah. So I think what, what's really important to remember is probably seven or eight out of 10 women postmenopausally will have what is technically called genitourinary symptoms of the menopause. It used to be called vaginal atrophy, but I find that quite a a nasty term. So I prefer to use GSM, which is essentially vaginal dryness. But seven to eight out of 10 women will have this. That's a huge number of women. And it will affect, so we could, you know, by default say it will be affecting the majority of women postmenopausally. And this is even if they already take HRT. And the reason for that is because HRT is great at providing estrogen to most of the body, but for some reason it's not quite so good at re-estrogenizing the vagina. So vaginal estrogens, which come as a cream or a gel or even a pessary or even a ring that you can insert, just give you estrogen to the vagina. And that's when we say topical estrogen. It's just estrogen that you insert into the vagina. It's very it's very safe, it's very effective. Most women who've had a history of breast cancer can use it very, very safely. And the reason for that is because it is the absorption into the body is so, so tiny. I mean, obviously, you need to speak to your, doc- your doctor or menopause specialist before you embark on this journey anyway. But actually, it is a very, very safe treatment, very effective. And many women find relief within a matter of weeks of using it it's important to know though actually that using it 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 provides the symptomatic relief of all you know after a few weeks but you need to carry on using it otherwise your symptoms will return I started using it probably about five months ago. I started, um, and I've spoken about this before, I'd started getting um, just almost a a sense of recurrent thrush um, and uh, that sense of almost um, needing the toilet a little bit more, just that uncomfortable feeling and sometimes an occasional slight sense of burning. And it wasn't awful, but it wasn't very comfortable. Obviously, thankful uh, that I have this knowledge um, and was able to go to my GP and, and request that. And I have to say within a week, Mm. it was a game changer. I've actually written to my GP and said, this is a complete game changer. I need to repeat the prescription because actually it just feel a little bit more comfortable. Um, And one of of the things that be incredibly painful through perimenopause and menopause is actually is sex. Um, And this is something else that, you know, isn't talked about very often. And whilst the many symptoms of perimenopause and perimenopause might mean you're tired or you're just not interested whatsoever, but even regardless of that actually lubrication of the vagina is really is really really key um, and vaginal estrogen can really help as well as vaginal lubricants as well can't they yeah so i mean when we talk about vaginal lubricants we're thinking of pres- we're not necessarily prescribable but there are certain ones and obviously it depends on where you are in the world but there are certain ones that are better than others i wouldn't just get something over the counter without some advice because they are often perfumed or contain some irritants to some women, which some women might, might find harmful. So it, it's it, the vaginal lubricants can help, but if I'm perfectly honest, I think there's very few women that can't use a local vaginal estrogen um, either inside the vagina, so applied internally or rubbed around the vulva so that the, the skin around the, the vagina to help ease some of the symptoms because actually the vulva also thins and shrinks during the perimenopause and menopause and, and 
and, and vaginal estrogen cream can be really effective and is absorbed really well in the area and can really help with symptoms like itching and um, irritation as well. Are you able to talk a little bit more about who may not be able to use vaginal estrogen? You mentioned it's a very, very, very small percentage of women. Is there anything specific or is it a bit more too, too complicated to discuss today? There are a very, very select minority of women that might not be able to use it. Um, it's very niche. And in terms of in terms of those women, I would say the major. I would actually say the majority of women can. If you're concerned about using vaginal estrogen, just have that conversation with your healthcare professional. Because as I said, I, I don't feel worried about giving vaginal estrogen to women who've had a history of estrogen receptor positive breast cancer, because I know that it is absorbed very, very locally. And don't forget, you know, in the UK, we follow specific guidelines that, um, that, that talk about shared care. And this is, this is a discussion between you and your healthcare professional um, and a balance between risks and your quality of life. When we're talking about vaginal estrogen, there's very few risks that are there. But if you're worried, talk to your healthcare professional because I think most women could probably safely use it. Something we haven't uh, mentioned, actually, we, we had a, a participant in one of our workshops that had a, a lot of problems. As you mentioned earlier, Claire, she's very painful for, to sit down. There was a real burning sensation. She was really, really struggling with vaginal pain. And uh, my understanding, actually, most recently, is she's been um, been diagnosed with vulvodynia, unexplained vulval pain. And I, I imagine that's quite unusual, is it? I see a, not a lot of it, but it's not sort of uncommon for me to hear about it, I guess. But that's that's with my menopause hat on but it is a really i guess soul destroying symptom of vulval pain vaginal pain um it, it can be spasms it can be like severe discomfort during sexual intercourse we're not just talking mild pain we're talking pain that that is so so severe um and actually when you have that severe pain once or twice your brain picks up on that severe pain so every time for example you're going for a smear or you're about to have sex it's that much worse because psychologically and physically you've built that pain up to be a lot worse it is a really common symptom in the menopause um and it can it can sort of be a vicious circle in that, in that like I said, you, you get the pain, you worry about the pain, the pain's more, the more pain you get, the more you worry about it. So it, it gets worse. But one of the, one of the really useful treatments in, in the perimenopause is, is again, just acknowledging the fact that this is existing. That's the first thing. Acknowledging and having that chat with your healthcare provider that this is a symptom and exploring why that might be a symptom. It might not be menopause related. It might be, there might be other things going on. And, you know, the psychology behind vulvodynia and pain is, is huge. So you, you do need to, you do need to be in a, the, the right space to tr explore that as well emotionally. It's not just a matter of here, have some vaginal estrogen, it's all going to go away. There needs to be that kind of discussion. And again, it comes back to that holistic discussion about thinking about psychological, social, emotional health and well-being and um, thinking about everything you're doing within your lifestyle. And we had a discussion, didn't we, Caroline, about kind of what to use in the vaginal area in terms of washing and, and things like that, didn't we? 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, avoiding soaps and wipes is key because actually it comes back to the idea and we've spoken a bit about the pH of the skin. It's very similar with the vagina. You know, you don't want to upset the pH balance. You don't want to upset the vaginal health or a kind of it's almost like a gut health, isn't it, with the bacteria. So, you know, you can buy soaps and, and creams specifically for the vaginal area that are not going to irritate the, the area, but actually just using water is probably probably the safest option and, and, and making sure obviously you are keeping yourself clean but not using any harsh soaps or chemicals in the area to upset or create more dryness or irritability exactly and we also we mentioned earlier didn't we um when we were having a chat before about kind of moisturizers and lubricants but sort of also remembering that condoms you know can be, can be quite irritating to the vagina so Use, use a lubricant when having sex, but make sure that, that, that it's a sort of a, a water-based lubricant rather than an oil-based lubricant, partly because it will be more comfortable, but also won't dissolve, won't dissolve the condom, which is obviously what you're using it for. So it's just something to bear in mind. If you are using condoms, um, worth just looking at, you know, whether they are covered in spermicide, because that can be often an irritability. So maybe you investigate the condoms you are using, because they can cause UTIs and, and irritate the lining of the vagina as well. And sometimes that, you know, that's going to help, help to alleviate some of these, some of these issues. We've talked about HRT, we've talked about local vaginal estrogen. Maybe we can mention just the sort of types that are available specifically in the UK. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because I'm using a pessary, which is great. It comes with a sort of, it's almost, a, if you imagine a, a tampon with an applicator, it's a very, very much smaller version of that. And so it's actually very, very easy to insert. Um, and it's tiny, um, more likely, or more, it's more helpful to, to insert it at night, actually, isn't it? Um, so it doesn't kind of dissolve too quickly. Um, you can use them during the day. Sometimes I do because I just forget to, to use it. <laughs> My menopause brain. Um, yeah. But actually, you know, that's it's a really easy way of using it. You mentioned a ring earlier, actually. And that's something I'm not familiar with. Yeah, so the, the, the pessary is a really great idea for, well, it comes as various forms, a little tablet, which is inserted and actually is less messy because it's so small and it's absorbed quite quickly. And then you've got little, pe you've got pessaries which look sort of more like mini bullets. They're kind of waxy, very easy to insert if you've got vulvodynia actually, because they are so smooth and you can just put a little bit of moisturizer on the outside. So some vaginal lubricant and insert them. Um, and most women with vaginal pain find that that's a lot more comfortable. Um, and then there's cream or gel. And the cream or gel is great because it can be inserted with an applicator high up in the vagina, but can also be used as a bit of a moisturizer externally. And that's also very, very safe to do. But the ring is an alternative way to use vaginal estrogen. It's really soft. It's really flexible. It has to be inserted by you know, your sexual health clinic or by your GP if they can do that. It releases a very steady dose of estrogen um, over about three months. And so over that three month period, what you're doing is you're getting a very steady dose, a bit like the contraceptive ring, if anyone's used that, but you're getting a steady dose of estrogen um, into the vagina. And the plus side of this is that you're not getting any of the mess that you would potentially get with a, a larger pessary. So some women go off the idea of, of using um, vaginal estrogen because it can be a bit messy, you can get a bit of discharge the morning after. But it's about, it's about actually finding the right solution for you the right kind of form of vaginal estrogen because for some women it's absorbed so quickly they don't get any discharge whereas for others they do so the ring isn't a good option 
The one thing I would say about the ring is what I tell all my women before I fit them is to use some vaginal cream or estrogen locally. So rubbing something in or just applying a little bit with your fingers and going higher and higher up for a few weeks first. Because if you've got vaginal dryness, for many women, the idea of smear or the idea of inserting something vaginally can be quite frightening and can be quite painful. So just using something a bit more locally, like a cream or a gel for a little bit to get your vagina a bit more estrogenized can be really, really helpful. But the ring is a great, a, a, a great alternative. And um, if you don't, you know, some women actually, I know, um, change them themselves when they become confident to do that. Um, and you can leave it in when you're having sex. It's not going to affect it. It can remove it. It's, it's perfect. That's great. And actually, I remember we talked to Dr. Helen Douglas a few weeks ago now, actually probably a couple of months ago now, and you know, this is one of the many symptoms she had talked about, vaginal atrophy or dryness and how uncomfortable she had been after her surgical um, procedure, uh, her surgical menopause. Um, and she mentioned discharge and actually, you know, it wasn't something vaginal dryness hadn't occurred to her because she was still getting a discharge. Um, so she just thought that wasn't even an issue, but actually the discharge can be very different day to day and it can change and that in itself um, can indicate vaginal dryness, can't it? It can, yeah. And it can be kind of a, a, a compensatory mess, uh, um, a compensatory effect really of your vaginal wall. Um, producing some, some fluid and in some women who haven't had a surgical menopause and are perimenopausal and getting symptoms it can be that you get more vaginal discharge at certain times of the month um, just because you've got some underlying ovarian activity still going on so you've still got some of your own hormones bumping around which can cause some discharge as well. You also mentioned smear tests there. So something I think we should probably touch on, really, really important to still be going for smear tests. Yeah. And normally you would get a letter as a reminder from your GP, wouldn't you? And yeah. you know, many women put these off. I know I've been guilty of putting it off for a couple of months. I feel like I have to work myself up to it because it's not generally a pleasant experience. But for many women, it can be incredibly painful as they are going through perimenopause and menopause. So this is something really worth discussing with the healthcare practitioner who's going to do your smear, isn't it? Yeah, and I think really important to be going for your smear. So in the UK, obviously, we have a screening program um, and women will be called at various times and various points for that. It is such a simple test. It takes a few minutes and it is it, it, it can save lives. So I think, you know, even as you get to the perimenopause and menopause, where perhaps in the UK, you might not be having quite so many smears or quite not not so frequent smears, you will still be, it will still be really beneficial to have them done. And so if you're sore vaginally, thinking about having a smear test is probably the last thing you want to be doing. But if you can be using some vaginal estrogen, actually it won't, it won't, it'll, it might be, you know, a little bit uncomfortable, but it won't be painful. And that's what we're trying to avoid is pain. And, um, you know, at the with the best one in the world, perimenopausally, or even, you know, before you hit the perimenopause, smears aren't nice, but they shouldn't be painful. So if you are experiencing pain during the smear, just have a think about where you are in your perimenopause journey because it can be really easily resolved with some estrogen. We've talked about vaginal estrogen, so locally, topically, um, which is really, really helpful for dry vaginas. One of the few symptoms that don't 
go away um, or doesn't go away I should say it can cause itching it can cause pain it can cause increased urinary frequency so going to the toilet more often it can actually be the cause of incontinence prolapse and often sort of an increased susceptibility of UTI so various different things um, and I suffered from a kind of feeling of almost getting getting thrush of cystitis a bit of pain before I, I, I decided to go down the vaginal estrogen route and it was incredibly helpful almost overnight within a week I felt like I'd been given a magic bullet. Many women feel that way so many women after a few days of using it have a noticeable improvement but it is, I mean, what we say, one caveat we always say to women is it can take three months to, to really take full effect. And the reason for that is because if you, if your vagina has been without estrogen for that amount of time, it's, it's almost like a build-up effect. You've got to allow it to re-estrogenize slowly. There's no quick way of doing that. HRT obviously will help, but it won't do, in some women, it won't do everything. So, you know, don't, don't be disheartened and stop using it. It's almost like, you know, it's a maintenance treatment. So you've got to be using it for it to be, for it to be effective stopping it your symptoms will return a few other things that worth worth mentioning as well you know we've talked about not using any harsh soaps in the vaginal area we've talked very much about um thinking about the condoms you're using because sometimes the spermicides that they're covered with or packaged with can create irritability but also just thinking about hydration so really really important to think about hydration as well and if like me you like a coffee <laughs> i've begun to try and restrict myself to one in the morning or one each day but thinking about what can dehydrate you as well but also irritate the vagina and irritate the bladder as well so limiting caffeine can be really really helpful can't it yeah and actually if you've got some sort of bladder irritability where you're kind of rushing to the loo or you just have that sense of urgency or you need to pee all the time and it's not a urine infection actually limiting those those products that perhaps have sweeteners in so we know that sorbitol for example can be quite irritant to the bladder um, and so that's another really good thing to avoid if you if you've had some irritability in the bladder but the other thing to really think about and I think we're a bit more open about this these days is is not douching so you know the the idea that bladders that sorry that vaginas need to be super super clean and we must wash them inside and out and actually even kind of showering and inserting inserting the water into our vaginas just just don't do it the vaginas are naturally self-cleaning i did have one lady who was told from a very young age that she needed to use dilute tcp to her her vagina um which if you don't know tcp it's an antiseptic a very very strong antiseptic in the uk it is it's so damaging the kind of rhetoric about how we should keep how our vagina should smell how they should look how we should groom them but water alone is enough don't douche and actually it's coming back to this idea of the gut biome really isn't it we've got a vaginal biome as well so we're looking at trying to keep these bacteria where they should be and not upsetting the ph because actually that's to you know we're looking at vaginal health here so if it's helpful to think about a, a gut biome in your digestive system also in your head think about your vaginal biome as well because even eating well and, and supporting your gut health is going to then support your vaginal health as well so yeah no absolutely that's interesting about sorbitol i hadn't heard of that actually i didn't know that sweeteners could 
could be irritable as well. So thinking about your caffeine intake, also alcohol, you know, it, we both enjoy a glass of wine, but we're both really, really aware that's going to irritate the bladder, irritate the vagina as well. So, you know, just managing these things, we're never ever saying cut things out because that's not much fun, but just managing and, and becoming aware of hydration. So, and hydration isn't just water, you know, it, it's, herbal tea as well it's it's fruit and vegetable there's a lot of water and fruit and vegetables as well and mm. it's been shown that actually you know downing a glass of water you suddenly remember you have not had any water during the day and actually downing it's not really going to help you want to be trying to take sips continuously during the day to, to keep yourself well hydrated something else to think about you know pelvic floor keeping the strength there obviously estrogen keeps everything firm tight kind of i like to think it sort of holds everything up but actually we can help ourselves with pelvic floor exercises and that's something we must explore in a, in a future episode but pilates is particularly particularly good for pelvic floor health in some yoga classes as well that can be focused on with the physical side of yoga and i think that uh, as terrible as i am about doing pelvic floor exercises i don't think we can estimate them enough they're a bit sort of like your physio exercises if you've got knee pain or back pain if you their maintenance again a bit like vaginal estrogen you've got to be doing them particularly if you've had children but even if you haven't you've got to be doing them to maintain that muscle strength think of it as another muscle that you're exercising because you know vaginal estrogen whilst it's it's great it's going only going to do so much you need to think about it in a in a really holistic way and give it all that it needs so yeah absolutely um pelvic floor muscle training is really brilliant and i and i often say do short and long ones so think about doing you know tightening those muscles pulling up your bum as if you're trying to stop pooing and hold on as as, as long as you can for a few seconds and then release and and if you if you do that for a, a few times a day, sort of 30 or 40 of those a few times a day, even just when you're standing boiling the kettle, just do it then. And then a few longer ones where you try and hold it for a minute or so. That will, over time, really help stabilise your pelvic floor. Yeah, and actually pelvic floor is linked to breathing as well. So while you're doing all of that, you're also working with your breath. And as you do it, often when we concentrate on doing something like a pelvic floor exercise, we hold our breath. So if you're doing this while you're listening and thinking about doing some pelvic floor exercise, just check you're not holding your breath make sure you are breathing as well something we do know is smoking lowers uh, lowers our estrogen levels as well and can damage the vaginal microbiome so you know we know this we know smoking is can exacerbate or exaggerate many many symptoms so if you can quit or at least cut down you know, thinking about giving up smoking is really, really key. Something else I've got on my list is avoiding antibiotics. And there are incidences where we can't do that. Mm. Um, but obviously, avoiding antibiotics can be really helpful because that will alter the, alter the gut microbiome, but as well the vaginal microbiome, won't it? Yeah, exactly. So obviously, if you've got a UTI, you're an infection, or if you've got something that needs treatment, it needs treatment. Um, but we've got to remember that these sort of antibiotics are great, but they won't just get rid of your bad bacteria. They'll get rid of the good bacteria too and upset the balance in your body. And there is a lot of evidence emerging that that, that, that uh, upset in the balance can, can cause havoc in the body. So thinking about, like you say, feeding the body, getting those probiotics back in after you've taken a course of antibiotics, but also just really being careful what you're using and we mentioned um it's just digressing a bit but we mentioned not using soaps and shower gels to wash to wash your vagina area with but also thinking about when you're sitting in the bath um, and submerged if you're using bubble baths or if you've 
you're using perfume bath salts or even bath salts at all and even just shower gels and shampoos if they're if they're dripping down also that can be really irritant to some women who are quite sensitive so it's it's I guess it's a mind change, isn't it, about everything that you're using and all the products that are out there that say they're suitable for the feminine region probably aren't, to be honest. Just yeah. get an emollient cream, a good a good cream from your GP or your chemist and um, or just water. Yeah. And it's it's getting out the habit as well often, isn't it? Because we get, for those women who reach perimenopause and menopause in their kind of 40s and, and late 40s, early 50s, you know, often you've kind of, you work out what you like, you know, you've worked out what you feel good using, perhaps in the bath or shower, you've got your products and, you know, you know what you like to eat and suddenly everything's turned on its head. So it's actually, unfortunately, changing your mindset sometimes about lots of different things when you think every, you've got everything sorted <laughs> and then and then nature. No, we, ne- we never do. I think just talk, I think talking about it um, is 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 so important though, and talking about it with your partner, and you know, for example, if sex is uncomfortable, you're talking about why sex might be uncomfortable, and using different different methods, and talking about it with your daughters, mothers to daughters, fathers to daughters, you know, just having those conversations, and really. I just break just break the taboo. It still amazes me that it is such a taboo, and I do understand why it is because I talk about vaginas all day long, and it doesn't bother me. But it, for some women, you know, that that having that conversation is just not something that they can go for yet. Yeah, no, and it's going to take time, isn't it? It takes time, and mm-hmm. it takes a, a sort of almost a sense of of bravery and owning this particular word that we're using vagina because actually for so many years it's been it's been a taboo something else that can can help tissue repair is zinc and we've talked about this before it can help with sleep as well it's not a it's not going to be a cure necessarily for vaginal dryness but you know for some women it does help and so thinking about what foods contain zinc and when we were just investigating this earlier, you know, with the nuts, the cashews, the chickpeas, the seafood, but uh, oysters came up as well, didn't they, Claire? It made us smile. <laughs> yeah, it made us <laughs> luck, if you do like oysters, a bit of luxury. Well, I couldn't quite remember what zinc was in, so I had to do a quick search, and oysters was the first thing that came up, and that's obviously not for everybody. But I thought, oh, that's probably, you know, oysters, a bit of an aphrodisiac as well, so it might kill two guys with one stone. <laughs> <laughs> We've uh, we've covered a couple of conditions as well. You'd mentioned bacterial vaginosis and, and vulvodynia as well. But do you find that as a GP and a, and a menopause specialist, you're having to ask these questions or are you finding that women are forthcoming and, and, and beginning to talk about it a little bit more, coming kind of forearmed, as it were, with information? I think women are definitely more informed than they were maybe even a couple of years ago. But it's still a question that many perimenopausal women will forget to, to to tell you more because they're just feeling a bit forgetful, not because they're withholding it or embarrassed by it. But actually, when you say specifically and you have to ask, I think, quite closed questions about menopause symptoms so that women can remember, because you can't be expected as a perimenopausal woman to remember everything. It just your brain often doesn't work or doesn't join things up. So. I often go through all the symptoms and say, have you had this? Or send them out, you know, a climacteric score sheet. But yeah, certainly it's got better, I think, but I still specifically ask about vaginal dryness and about um, discomfort during sex and um, libido, which is all tied in, in in one thing, because I think it's important, partly because obviously it's quality of life, but also because like we've said, and I, sorry to bang on about this but the treatments out there are amazing and so effective 
So I would just implore anyone that's listening that has these symptoms, don't just give up and think that that's it. Just go and speak to your healthcare professional and just get the advice. And if you don't get the advice you need or you don't feel like you're getting the advice you need, ask for a second opinion. Yeah. And actually, you know, I, I, I'm going to reiterate that just even a kind of inkling of pain or soreness or UTIs, urinary tract infections, just think about this as a possibility. Yes, we have said, you know, it could be other things going on, but do approach your doctor or GP or healthcare professional sooner rather than later, because there is nothing worse than, than it getting worse. You know, this continuous discomfort and pain and, and burning feeling. It's just incredibly painful for so many women and there is no real need for it because as you say it can be quite easily treated uh, and most women the majority of women can take uh, a vaginal estrogen preparation of some sort i think also that goes back to kind of we just get on with things don't we as women we're just like oh well it, it's a bit painful oh well it's the menopause oh well that's just happening to everybody i'll get through it in a few years and that'll be that but actually i had a really interesting conversation with with um a care home manager recently because we did a an audit into how many of their female residents were on vaginal estrogen and none of them were and that was 72 women none of them had even had the, the discussion about vaginal estrogen yet these are women with bladder irritability urinary incontinence so um, you know losing control of their bladders um, recurrent symptoms of cystitis and yet none of them were on vaginal estrogen so it's it's about just moving away from we're just going to get on with this and it's just the burden we have to bear to know actually there's a lot you can do about this and it's time that you, we all spoke up about it and it's one of the few you know one of the symptoms dry vaginas this is one of the symptoms that is not going to go away so i want to highlight that because you know other other symptoms might fade might come up with different things come and go particularly after you know after the menopause so once you're post menopause as well but this is something that is just not going to go away so if it's affecting you in anyway is knowing that there is help and you can get that help and i know you like to recommend a very particular book for so for women that are they're not familiar with the kind of reading material out there there are so many books around perimenopause and menopause but one very specifically around vaginas yeah so i love this book because there is there's so much information out there if you're like me you start to delve into it you can get a little bit lost and overwhelmed so the the one book i'd say was was worth a read was is a book called um me and my menopausal vagina by jane lewis and it's actually we featured it on our instagram account a couple of times haven't we and it it's just a very very good short read you could probably read it in a couple of days i like it because it's interspersed with pictures which is always good for me, but it's just from a, a very basic point of view, but it covers everything. It covers everything we've just spoken about and more. And I would, I would really, if you can get your hands on it, I would, I would really, really recommend it because I, I think it, it just encompasses everything about vaginas that we've just talked about. Fantastic. That's great. I think we've used the word vagina a few times. I might have to go through now and count the number of times we have. I hope this has encouraged you, our listeners, to talk about it more, not just, you know, with friends, family, with mothers, with daughters, but also with your healthcare professional. If you feel that this is, this is, you know, we are talking to you, then please know that this is really a common issue and GPs, 
deal with this all the time and that actually you can talk to your healthcare professional about this and find support you need.